The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Go Green Radio, brought to you by Covanta Energy. Reduce, reuse, recycle, rethink renewable energy and energy from waste. This program will help start you thinking about how to protect our world and its important resources. Now here's the host for Go Green Radio, Jill Buck. Welcome to Go Green Radio, folks. That's right. We are going to be talking about protecting our most important resources. And today, that resource that we're talking about is our precious children. Um, we are talking to Robin O'Brien today. She's our guest. Uh, New, the New York Times has called her Foods Erin Brockovich. And we're talking about a subject that seems so basic that I think a lot of you may be shocked to know uh, that this is even going on. But the fact is, for the past 20 years, genetically engineered food has been part of our food system, um, whether it's through feedstock for livestock, whether it's uh, actually within the products that we eat. And there's no requirement whatsoever to label that uh, the presence of those substances in our foods. And uh, Robin and I share uh, a common feeling, and it's growing across America, and that is that these products should be labeled. And in fact, she's representing a group and, and a spokesperson for a group today called Just Label It, and we'll be talking about that in a moment. And uh, I'm just so pleased that Robin can join us. Welcome to Go Green Radio, Robin. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me. Well, before we dive into the topic of genetically engineered uh, food and GMOs and labeling, I'd like for you to talk a little bit about your background as a food industry analyst. Tell us what kind of work you did prior to your involvement with Just Label It. Well, you know, I was on a team of about seven guys, and we um, covered all the industries. And because I was the only woman on the team, they thought it would be a great combination if I followed the food industry which was kind of funny at the time because really at the time I didn't know how to cook. Um, you know, I had been known to do things like burn noodles. I was really bad at it. I wasn't a foodie. Um, and so when the management teams of places like Whole Foods would come through our offices, um, you know, when they were kind of talking about their stock, what they were doing as a company, you know, we simply just thought that's nice. That's a marketing niche. Um, sort of dismissed it as, you know, this kind of category lifestyle, the rich and famous, or maybe some hippie thing. Um, and really, you know, that was about as far along as I thought. I was, um, you know, I'd been born and raised in Houston, Texas, ate my fair share of Twinkies and Pull Boys. Um, so I wasn't a foodie. And I figured if anything was on grocery store shelves, it was fine. It was safe. I didn't want to worry about it. Um, and so, yeah, I covered the food industry. I covered some tech um, as well as some other industries. And really kind of came at, you know, at that space with um, this very nonchalant attitude. And then when my husband and I decided to have children, um, I traded the briefcase for a diaper bag. And we had um, four children. And, you know, really, again, at that point, I figured if it was on grocery store shelves, it was safe. I was like many busy moms. I didn't want anybody telling me what to eat. I didn't want anybody telling me what to feed my kids. It's hard enough just simply to get kids to eat. Yep. And then... Um, and then, you know, as the story kind of began, it was really over breakfast one morning uh, when our youngest child had an allergic reaction. 
And as I began to learn about what was going into our food supply and how many children had food allergies and how many children were developing autism and ADHD and all of these conditions, you know, yeah, I was looking at the fact that maybe we were diagnosing these more frequently than they had been diagnosed in the past, but the rate of change was absolutely enormous. You know, and having come from this analytical background, to me it just begged the question, what has changed? Because mm-hmm. epidemics aren't born out of genetics. They're born out of environmental factors. Mm-hmm. And so I really threw the analytical skill set that I had earned, um, you know, as a financial analyst, and I, I turned that onto the health of, of our children to try to understand what was happening to the health of the American children, to try to understand what was happening with our food supply, how we really had begun to engineer our food supply for shareholder wealth rather than stakeholder health. And mm-hmm. so um, as, that, as that all began to evolve, um, I started a little organization called Allergy Kids six years ago right at Mother's Day. And now Allergy Kids is one of over 540 partner organizations with the Just Label It campaign. And to be part of this movement, um, to be a voice for our children, it's such an honor and I'm so grateful for the work because I think that it is just so tremendously important that we have a very open and honest dialogue about what's happening in the U.S. food system today. I think you're right. And, you know, going back to your background as a financial analyst, um, tell us how the finances or the profit margins have changed since the introduction of, of GMOs. I mean, w- when you were looking at this industry, what kind of financial picture were you seeing in terms of um, growth in that industry? Well, you know, I mean, there's been a lot of discussion recently about how we're going to feed the world. We've got this increased global population, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, At the same time, the food industry is thinking, how am I going to sell more product? And that's their job, is to sell more product. I mean, that's why those executives are hired. And so, um, you know, it began, this whole genetically engineered food began um, these these crops, only two of them really, so it's only corn and soy initially, um, were basically hardwired so that they could withstand increasing doses of chemicals, and that was done by the chemical industry. And again, like as an analyst, that makes so much sense because if I was an executive at a chemical company, I'm trying to sell those chemicals. So Mm -hmm. if I can figure out a way to hardwire that seed so that I can just absolutely saturate it with chemicals, that is great for my business. And that's exactly Mm -hmm. what these guys did. So it's a brilliant business model. So those initial seeds for, for soy, for example, they were basically hardwired to withstand this increasing doses of this weed killer that sprayed on those fields. And soy is used, like you mentioned, to fatten the livestock. I mean, it's used, um, derivatives of soy are used all through the processed food system. Um, and so to basically kind of engineer that ingredient so that you could sell more chemicals, I mean, it's a brilliant business model. Mm-hmm. Um, but there were no long-term human studies done, which is why governments around the world said, we don't know what the long-term health implications of this are going to be. And we did have studies done here in the U.S., and they were done by the company that is selling the product. Um, and so, again, you know, kind of leveraging this finance background, I turned to Harvard scientists, to researchers who had conducted these studies about the role that the financing of studies plays in the outcome of studies. And it was fascinating because any time that, you know, a study is sort of self-financed like that by industry tends to favor industry, you know, at a pretty jaw-dropping amount of the time. Yeah. And these are Harvard <laughs> guys saying this, you know. Mm-hmm. So um, so they really kind of came through that. I was like, so we don't really have the hard independent science we need to know whether or not these things are safe. And it's because of that the governments around the world, all of the 
countries in Europe, Australia, New Zealand, China, Russia, the UK, I mean, all, pretty much, you know, the developed countries that any of us might have ever traveled to, um, they all decided to opt for labeling because of this jury is still out feeling on the science, that we didn't have the independent science. Mm-hmm. And yet here in the U.S., we just took a different approach. Mm-hmm. We take the approach that it hasn't yet been proven dangerous, so we'll introduce it into the food supply. And mm-hmm. um, that approach, you know, we, it's, it's, it's just different. It's not as precautionary um, as the other countries, you know, decided mm-hmm. to take. Um, I think when you're dealing with something as intimate as food, especially when you consider, you know, what a what a pregnant mom is told to do during her pregnancies, you know, and what the, the impact that food can have on the health and the conditions and the long-term health of a child, you know, mm-hmm. these countries decided that it, it just that it wasn't worth taking the risk. Bravo to them, and we'll talk about that a little bit more in a moment, but. I'm really impressed by the fact that when your own child had an allergic reaction, you did what a lot of parents with food allergies, you know, in their families do. You treated it, of course, but you really took it a step further and you really started to ask the question, not just what can I do to help symptomatically my child, but what caused this allergy to begin with and how can I help not just my child, but many children, you know, across the world. Well, you you know, I have to be honest, I I didn't want to do that. Um, (laughs) You know, what happened, what happened in all honesty was that as I was learning about the food supply and how we'd introduced all of these synthetic ingredients and all of these additives, you know, and I was going to the allergist and I said, you know, is my child with a soy allergy allergic to soy that's been around for thousands of years or are they allergic to this genetically engineered soy that was introduced in the 1990s? And you just get that, like, blank deer in the headlights look. And they don't mm-hmm. have those tests. The allergists don't have those tests. Right. So I went to some of the larger food allergy organizations, and I said, you know, why isn't anybody talking about this? This is so important. You know, governments around the world have labeled these things. The U.N. in 2001 was saying one of the concerns was allergenicity. You know, there was all of this data that was saying, and you know, we, we just don't know. And I went to this large food allergy organization, and they pretty much had an allergic reaction to me. And they fired <laughs> off some pretty aggressive correspondence. You know, and really at that point, I was, I was scared. I thought, you know, what in the world are, are, are they so threatened by this mother of four who's trying to create awareness? I was trying to, you know, to lend whatever support I could to their organization. And so, again, because I was a financial analyst, I pulled their financial statements, and that's when I realized that, not only was the organization funded by the chemical companies, they were accepting grants from these companies, from the big food companies, but so so were the doctors on their medical board. And that wow. kind of hit like a bowling ball in the gut because, you know, there's nothing wrong with that officially, but it wasn't transparent. There hadn't been full disclosure. And I thought if that's where their money's coming from, then that's probably why they can't, you know, exercise Speak this out. level of precaution. And so, you know, really at that point, I felt this incredible responsibility with the knowledge that I had, with what I, the treatment that I had received from that organization, all of it combined. Um, and I couldn't unlearn it. And, you know, at the same time, around August or October, I think, of 2006, the EPA had just granted $440,000 to a small university um, to conduct studies on the allergenicity of genetically engineered food. So obviously, like, they were still concerned in 2006. Mm -hmm. Um, And as I began to reach out to researchers around the globe and around the country, I realized that there was a huge story that hadn't been told, and so Mm -hmm. I had had to tell it. So, you know, I mean, there have been plenty of days where, you know, I look at my husband and I think, 
this this sweet man didn't sign up for this. But it's really how life works. And so, you know, we really leaned into the responsibility as a family. Mm-hmm. What's the mission of your organization? I mean, uh, how will you know when you've accomplished it? How do you define uh, the purpose and the mission of your organization? That's a great question. Actually, I was just talking about that yesterday. Um, you know, I think one of the greatest problems in this field right now today is that we have a monopoly in place. Um, this technology is so new. And if you think about it as, a, as an operating system that's basically been implemented onto our food so that these companies can sell more of their chemicals and their fertilizers and everything else, it's a really smart business model, and they've dominated the space. So we've got one or two very powerful players. And anytime you have an industry where it's really monopolized like that, that is not in the best interest of anyone except the monopolist. And really, ultimately, it's not in the best interest of the monopolist. And so, you know, one of the things I would really like to see is that those barriers to entry are lowered. And it's, it's like what we saw initially with the computer industry when we just had IBM. We had this giant computer in a room, and if that was all we ever ended up with because of that monopoly, you know, we would, never would have gotten to where we are today. And so, you know, my call right now is let's lower those barriers to entry. Let's bring in independent scientists. You know, let's let's get access to this stuff so that we can get the best, most efficient, safest products on the market. And I don't think we're anywhere close to that today. And I think in order to really, you know, get that demand going, there has to be labeling. Consumers have to know that this stuff is even in the food in the first place because, if you don't, if there are no labels, you know, most Americans are like how I was six years ago. You have absolutely no idea that this has even happened, you know. Yeah. And I, think, and I that, think a lot of Americans are going to have a really hard time wrapping their head around the fact that it happened under the radar without our permission, without our vote. Here we are, the land of the free, home of the brave, and uh, we have less freedom of choice uh, than some China. other countries that and we China. might consider yeah. a little bit less free. Right. Well, we've got to take a quick break, Robin, but when we come back, we're going to talk in more specifics about GMOs, what they are, where they're at in our food supply, and what some other countries have done. And so you don't want to miss this, folks. Don't go away. There's much more Go Green Radio right after this. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you ready to change your relationships, your business, your body, and your life? You'll want to tune in to Transformation Talk Radio with host Tony Litster. It's an inspiring hour of conversation, special guests, and wisdom that has made Tony an expert with personal life experience. His down-to-earth style will give you the keys to unlock your greatest potential. Listen for Transformation Talk Radio live every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Listening can truly change your life. Come back to your senses. Imagine a radio show that will help you recover your common sense. Host Leah Brenda Smith is a health and wellness specialist who will explain techniques designed to help you recover from the stress of your life. It's all about how you respond to your thoughts. A little bit of self-awareness can go a long way in helping you to relax and enjoy your life. Tune in to Come Back to Your Senses Radio, live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh, yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. I'm so glad that you all could join us because our guest today, Robin O'Brien, is so knowledgeable. She comes from a background, if you're just joining us, of a financial analyst who used to cover the food industry. And now as a mother of four, um, she has taken that financial analyst skill set and tool set and applied it to learning about um, what she's feeding her family and what she found was pretty alarming. We're talking about genetically modified organisms or GMOs and I'd like to take a step back and make sure that we're all on the same page. Robin, tell us what is the definition of a GMO? Well, first of all, I've got to say, when I first heard the term, you know, I thought, you know, is it good for you? Is it bad for you? Omega-3, you know, I mean, there are all these yeah. terms that are thrown out there. And I was that ignorant in the space. Um, and so, you know, I'm looking at this, I'm like, well, what is this thing? And basically, um, genetically engineered food contains these organisms that have basically been inserted into that, into that food crop. Um, they're very unique. They're original. They're patented by the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office because they are so distinct and so different from anything that has ever occurred in nature before and because they've been invented by these chemical companies. And so, um, you know, rather than use the term GMO, I, I, I way prefer the term genetically engineered food because it contains these patented, you know, ingredients that the chemical companies own. Um, and so, you know, when you're talking about genetically engineered food, that happened in the 1990s where these chemical companies decided to use this new technology and engineer these certain traits and characteristics into crops like corn and soy. And um, interestingly, you know, these, these new traits and characteristics are proteins. And a child with a food allergy sees food as foreign and is reacting to proteins that are in the food supply. And, you know, as I came into this knowledge, I thought, well, you know, are they allergic to the food that we all grew up eating as kids or are they allergic to these new food proteins? Mm -hmm. And, again, no long-term human studies have been done. You cannot walk into an allergist's office and ask for a test to determine the difference between genetically engineered corn or conventional corn that we all grew up eating. And so, you know, we simply don't have that evidence. And so the industry is able to say there's no evidence of harm when really there's no evidence. And so, you know, these genetically engineered foods, um, they were introduced in the 1990s. Corn and soy are the two biggies, and they're um, found in so much of the processed food that we eat today. Um, 
you know, and then cotton is another one, and cottonseed oil is used in a lot of the foods that we eat today. Um, and canola, and canola obviously is used as an oil in a lot of the foods we eat today. So there are only a handful of crops so far that have been genetically engineered by the chemical companies, but they're pretty big ones. Right. Now, some countries don't even allow genetically engineered crops to be grown. I'd love for you to talk about some of those countries and what their rationale for banning GE crops are. You know, I found that absolutely shocking. You know, like you mentioned earlier, I mean, here we are, you know, this this free country, and yet we haven't been given this information about this very monumental change that was made in our food supply. And over 40 countries around the world um, said, you know what, we don't know what the long-term effects of this are going to be. Um, the promise with these genetically engineered crops is that they were going to reduce the amount of pesticides and things that were going to be sprayed on the field. What has actually proven out since their introduction is that there's been this whopping increase um, in the way that these chemicals have been sprayed, so much so that now the crops are becoming resistant to them, and they're saying we're going to have to you know, re-engineer these things and create them to withstand even more toxic doses of chemicals. Um, and so you know, it was around that concern not only for the health of the citizens and for the health of the consumer, but also, you know, for the health of the environment, for soil contamination and everything else that countries like France and New Zealand, for example, said, not only do we not want this in our food supply, we're so worried about the environmental effects and the health of, you know, the soil and the water and everything that goes into this whole thing that we don't even want it planted in our soil. Well, and we also know, and we've had farmers on our show before, uh, talking about how sometimes fields cross-pollinate. And so if you have a genetically engineered crop planted next to another farmer who doesn't want that particular seed, but they, the wind blows and it cross-pollinates um, with the with the organic or the standard traditional uh, farmer seed, uh, because those genetically engineered crops are patented, there have actually been lawsuits against um, farmers for growing patented uh, crops that they didn't buy from the chemical companies. Uh, and there's also been contamination of seeds that farmers have developed on their own over many, many years. They've, they've kind of crafted their own uh, taste and their own brand of these various crops, and they've been contaminated by the wind-blowing GE crops into their fields. So it, there, there's much more at stake. I actually have talked to some some folks from the EU, and they talk about that being part of the reason why they've banned it in Europe, because the fields are much smaller there, they're landlocked, and uh, and and the farming community is very suspicious of the overall effect on the diversity of seeds that will be available should GE crops be introduced. Same thing with Japan; it's an island, and so you know if if the if the non GE crops become contaminated with GE crops, then you know it's it's game over. Um, some of those uh, the crops that were traditional and have been cultivated, the seeds have been cultivated for years, will be lost. And so one of the things that that pains me to no end is when I hear the Japanese talking about you know, their ban on genetically engineered crops and that they're watching our children, American children, to see what the health effects will be over the long term before they even consider bringing genetically engineered crops into their own country. And when they look at American children over the last 20 years, what are they seeing? An increase in autism, an increase in ADHD, 
an increase in allergies, an increase in childhood obesity, all of these things that, as you said, there's no substantial evidence because we haven't tried to gain it, um, that it's due to genetically engineered crops, but it's one of the biggest things that's changed in the environment of American children, and that really breaks my heart. I don't know how you feel about that, Robin. I, I, I absolutely share that sentiment. When I first heard about the Japanese health minister making that statement, it was from a film called The Future of Food by Deborah Kunz Garcia. It was a documentary that she put out um, in the mid 2000s, and it's a it's a phenomenal film. It sort of um, was a predecessor for for Food Inc. For those who have seen Food Inc., mm-hmm. but it, it was in that film I think that I first heard that expression, and I absolutely stopped and I thought, why have we not placed the same value on the lives of the American children? that have been placed on the lives of kids in other countries. It was absolutely mind-blowing to me that we were doing this to our own children. Um, and that was incredibly hard to hear. It was incredibly hard to learn. And it was really at that point that I realized, you know, when, when we're learning this information about these changes in the food supply, it's changing a lot more than how we shop. It's changing how we think about our role in democracy. It's changing about what we think about government's role. You know, and we really have to sort of... Um, reanalyze a lot of different things, not just, you know, how we're going to navigate a grocery store. And so, you know, when I learned that, that was a definitely um, one of those moments where, again, I couldn't unlearn it. I couldn't go back. And I thought, you know, as I looked at the kids one afternoon out in the backyard playing, I thought, you know, if, if I don't find the courage to speak out on this, who will? You know, and I thought if, if, if we can begin to kind of take all of these pieces and say, look, this is the picture that's been painted around the world, they are simply exercising precaution. Let's take that same approach here in the U.S. And the first step towards taking that approach is to have these things labeled so that, mm-hmm. you know, if this product that's been introduced by these, you know, few key powerful players isn't as great as everybody thinks it is, then we can bring in other players, we can bring in independent scientists, and we can get the smartest, safest, most effective, efficient technology on the market today, if that's the route we want to go. Because like you mentioned, I mean, I have heard from global food companies that have said, we want to know if GMOs, if these genetically engineered foods, are playing a role in autism, because we don't have any studies. Mm -hmm. And I think the food industry now is starting to realize, you know, they don't want to be liable in any way, should this come to bear down the road. I mean, we've seen what happened yep. with the tobacco industry when information wasn't transparent and mm-hmm. science was essentially bought and used as, you know, as a, as a platform for advertising. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you think about the tobacco industry, our grandmothers saw advertisements that had doctors selling cigarettes in them. Yeah. And well, I the think, Flintstones. You know, I mean, cartoon characters like the Flintstones were smoking. I mean, it was crazy. And I think of the same thing with asbestos. Asbestos, at the time that it came out, was uh, it, people were talking about it as a miracle substance. Right. And now, what's happened? I mean, huge class action lawsuits once they realized about you know all of the health effects, mesothelioma, and and other impacts, health impacts. If that happens to a nation's worth of children as a result of this, nobody wants to see that. But we're not doing anything to make sure. I, you know, it's kind of like when I tell my kids, uh, you know, they've done something wrong and they will say, but mom, I didn't mean to. Right. When they reach a certain age, I will say to them, 
but you didn't mean not to. And you're old enough now to look forward to the consequences and, and, and see what could have happened. And, and now that my kids are teenagers, I can say that, but you didn't mean not to. So I'm still holding you accountable. And that's kind of where I am with the food industry. I'm not saying that any of the chemical companies are out to do harm to consumers, but if you didn't mean not to, to make sure that you're not doing harm, then you're just as culpable. That's my feeling. And we should be labeling it so, so that consumers have that choice. And I find it kind of astonishing that countries like Russia and China require labeling. And yet, you know, we don't do that here in the U.S. Robin, who is standing in the way of that happening in the U.S.? You know, again, I mean, I, I have to take, I have to take that answer, um, wearing the hat that I wore as a financial analyst and say, you know, this is business as usual. And mm-hmm. I think, um, you know, it's, it's the executive's job to make sure that their products sell. And if the products are getting a bad rap in the marketplace, then they're going to roll out PR campaigns to make sure that that changes. And we're seeing that. You know, Dow Chemical is about to introduce a corn that has been genetically engineered to withstand um, a component of the ingredients that were used in Agent Orange, you know. And and you really step back from that and you're just like, wow. You know, it's really, I mean, that this is, this just shows um, the enormous power of this industry. Um, and I think, you know, when you really stop and you look at the dollars and you analyze the way that the system works, um, you know, the incredible influence that lobbying money has on our system, regardless of what industry you're talking about, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, we've seen it over and over. You know, we had the deregulation of the financial industry, and we ended up with a bunch of toxic assets, and the consumers were sort of left paying the price. We've had the deregulation of the food industry, and what we're seeing are these toxic assets, you know, and I think... The example that is probably the most relevant and timely right now is this issue around pink slime. And I think, you know, as I really have analyzed that, you know, almost like a case study, it's like, would consumers have been so outraged and would there have been this tremendous backlash if they had simply labeled that ingredient in the first place? But I think what happened was that consumers felt totally duped. And then, you you know, on top of it, I mean, it was bad luck for industry that they had a USDA microbiologist actually give it that title of pink slime. <laughs> you know, and that was just bad luck for the beef guys. Um, but I think, you know, it was sort of this, this combination of these factors. But a key one being that consumers had no idea they were eating that stuff in the first place, and they felt like they'd been taken advantage of. And right. that reaction is a powerful one. And, you know, my my... My thought to the food industry would be, be careful that doesn't happen here. Because if consumer sentiment were to suddenly shift, you know, the chemical companies, that's one thing, but the food industry would get hammered by that, you know, and they should be hedging their bets. I mean, if I were were an executive in a food company, I would be saying, how am I hedging against a reaction like pink slime in this space, you know? And it would be to try to build out the portfolio, to build out our accessibility to the ingredients that aren't genetically engineered, you know, to make sure that as a company we had access to non-genetically engineered corn and non-genetically engineered soy should this consumer reaction ever hit. That is the smartest thing for the food industry to be doing right now, I think. Yep. I think you're right, Robin. We've got to take just a quick break, but we're going to come back to that when we return with the show. So, folks, don't go away. We'll be right back in just a moment after this commercial break. News, opinion, your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787, 1-866-472-5787, voiceamerica.com. Family caregivers face some tough challenges every day in caring for a partner, 
parent, child, sibling, friend, neighbor, or even coworker. You are there to provide the care that these people need after everyone else has gone home. Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley will provide you with a social networking experience. You'll hear from experts and others who are experiencing the same things, and together you will promote a common cause. Tune in to Family Caregivers Unite, live every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh, yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. If you're just tuning in, you're going to find that uh, that your hostess with the mostest is pretty fired up about this topic. This is one of those things that really gets me hot under the collar. And it's not just because of genetically engineered food in and of itself. It's about letting consumers know so that we can make the best choices for our family. It comes down to this for me. I feel like our society has an obligation to protect our children. And if we don't know the human impact of genetically engineered food in our food system, then by golly, we need to make sure that we're not harming our children by allowing it to be introduced without consumers' consent and without consumers being able to choose not to feed that to their children if they feel like there might be a problem. Our guest today, if you just happen to be tuning in, is Robin O'Brien. Um, she has been called by the New York Times Foods Erin Brockovich. Her background is in financial uh the financial analyst market. She's been uh, analyzing the food industry for years. And now as a mother of four, she's the founder of the Allergy Kids Foundation and the author of a great book called The Unhealthy Truth. She's also a spokesperson for a movement that I'm really excited about called Just Label It. And if you want to, you can check out their website while we talk with Robin. Just uh, don't close this tab in your web browser. Keep listening to us on Voice America. But open a new tab in your web browser and go to www dot just label it dot org and there you'll find more information about a movement to get uh, the food industry to label our food so that we know if we're purchasing genetically engineered food products or not um, you know Robin I want to ask if food manufacturers won't voluntarily label their products if we're unsuccessful in getting the FDA to require that then where can consumers find out which companies are or are not uh, using GMO products. We know a great thing to remember is that there are only nine genetically engineered crops. 
that have been approved in the U.S. And the two biggies are corn and soy. They make up more than 90% of the genetically engineered crops in the U.S. So look at the ingredient list um, for any kind of derivation of, of the corn or the soy um, because chances are that's genetically engineered. Unless, of course, um, you can afford to you know, opt for USDA-certified organic because mm-hmm. what I learned is that by law, that organic method of food production is not allowed by law to use these genetically engineered seeds that have been hardwired to withstand the saturation of these chemicals. And, I mean, that, that makes sense. You would hope that is absolutely what organic stands for, mm-hmm. and it is. And so, you know, a, a safe bet is to look for foods that carry that green and white seal that says USDA organic mm-hmm. because by law, they're not allowed to contain those ingredients. Um, and I think that's a great place to start if you can afford to start there. If you can't, then, you know, you would really just try to, um, try to opt out of these genetically engineered ingredients, you know, um, because the corn and the soy we're eating today is not the same that we ate as kids. Mm-hmm. I think there was a time when people had a little bit more faith in the FDA and the USDA to keep our food supply safe. But as you mentioned in the last segment, you know, we've recently learned about pink slime. Um, last summer, we had multiple deaths due to a listeria outbreak in uh, melon. And then recently here in California, we had a dairy cow that was found to have mad cow disease. What improvements do you think need to be made to the FDA and the USDA to ensure that customers can make the best decisions about the food and the food safety that they're purchasing? You know, I think the most important thing that we could be doing is, you know, lending our voices to this movement because it really matters. You know, I've worked with um, state senators around the country in places like Georgia and Texas. You know, I've heard from people in California. We've worked with people here in Colorado. And, you know, another another sort of misconception that I had was that these, these members of Congress were somehow untouchable. Um, you know, they sat behind some huge mahogany desk, and it was hard for any normal person to, you know, g- gain access. But what I've actually learned is that they are just as worried about the health of their families as the rest of us. And that, you know, they've got kids with allergies or kids with autism or sisters with cancer, and they're worried. There's not an American in this country that isn't touched by one of these conditions. And so, you know, where it was intimidating at first, you know, I had a baby on my hip and a diaper bag over my arm for the first meeting I ever had with a congressman. Mm-hmm. And yet I realized, you know, they, they truly um, – They come from families, you know, where these conditions are are hitting their families, too. And you can really begin that dialogue. Um, Organizations like Just Label It, which has, you know, just hundreds of members and hundreds of organizations with over a million comments that have been submitted to the FDA, you know, they really are a great community um, to become part of so that you don't feel like you're so alone. Um, The resources that are available on the Just Label It website are tremendous. Um, They've got great infographics. They've got great data that you can download. And then they've got these simple sign-on letters that you can submit. And what I have learned from working with these members of Congress is that if somebody actually bothers to take the time to submit a comment, they know that there are dozens of other constituents behind that person that feel the same way. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think we sort of got into a place in democracy where we think, like, well, I'm one person. It doesn't matter. There's so much money in the system. What can I do? And your voice actually matters way more than you might realize. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would say, you know, lend your, lend your voice because, you know, truly for, for us to create the change, they need to know that we care. They need to know that we really are worried about the health of our families. And I think um, 
as we really, you know, work with the FDA on an issue like this, you know, my, my call is for independent science. And unfortunately, the FDA is so underfunded at this point that they don't, they don't have any money, you know. So it becomes yeah. a much greater issue um, when you're talking about our national budget as a family, you know, as a national family, if we were all to sit down, you know, how would we want to be allocating that budget so that we have this clean, safe food supply full of real food that's mm-hmm. actually going to keep us healthy rather than a food supply where, you know, the the easiest stuff and the cheapest stuff to get is the stuff that is not good for us. And I think, you know, that, again, is a national dialogue that we are starting to have. And um, and I really think to lend your voice and lend your talents in whatever way you can is incredibly important at this point. I couldn't agree with you more. And I want to underscore that point by reminding some of our listeners of uh, what was said by one of the vice presidents of supply chain for Safeway. They're one of the biggest grocers um, in America. And we ask him the same question. If, if consumers are concerned about what they do and do not want to see on the shelves of your store, what can they do? And he gave us every way that you could contact Safeway and let them know what you think about, you know, anything from genetically engineered food um, to, you know, anything. And as a matter of fact, they ended up being the very first grocery chain in the country to say we will not sell pink slime. They listen. So, you know, there's, there's, all that you can do in terms of influencing your elected representatives. There's also so much you can do even at your local grocery level to let your grocers know um, this is not what we want to feed our kids. We want to make a change. So I think you're so right, Robin, and I hope that our listeners feel very empowered to to let their opinions and let their concerns be known to the right people. And uh, and I really want to encourage every one of our listeners to do that. I'd love for you to tell us just a little bit more about the accomplishments of Just Label It. What are some of the successes that they've achieved so far? And in your mind, what still needs to be done? Well, you know, I mean, I'm so grateful for the dedication and vision of Gary Hirschberg, who has, has led that organization and that effort. He is so completely committed to this movement um, that he stepped down, you know, from his position as CEO over at Stonyfield Farm. And I think um, to have somebody that committed with that much integrity leading a movement like this is so incredibly important. Um, the organization very much started as a grassroots effort with a handful of us on an advisory board, reaching out to people that we knew who we knew were concerned about um, their right to know. And we weren't judging one way or the other on the science. We were just simply saying we deserve to have labels put on these ingredients the way that they've been labeled in other countries. And I think sometimes it's hard for people to sort of visualize what that label would look like. But if you're reading the ingredient list of a product in Europe, for example, you know, instead of saying corn, soy, wheat, milk, it would simply say genetically engineered corn, genetically engineered soy, wheat, and whatever else. Um, and so, you know, it's not anything that would be completely, you know, groundbreaking. We're just simply inserting those few words into the ingredient list that's already there. Um, and I think, you know, we've got this coalition now of, of 540 organizations representing all kinds of stakeholders. And what's fascinating is the farming community is coming to us, um, not only obviously the organic farmers who, like you mentioned, are worried about this kind of cross-contamination, mm-hmm. but now some of these other farmers are starting to say, you know what, this, is, this isn't working out like we thought it was going to. We've become very chemically dependent in this agricultural system. Um, we've got all these super weeds, which are all these weeds that are now resistant to these chemicals because 
they've been hardwired, these seeds have been hardwired, and now we've, you know, had this routine saturation. And so, you know, we've got some really unlikely groups that are coming to the party and saying, we need to know. We need them as much information as we can possibly get our hands on to know if these products are doing what they say they're doing. And in order to do that, we have to have labels. And so, um, you know, it's just, it's great. We've got the American Nurses Association, the Center for Food Safety, Live Strong. You know, they're just some amazing, amazing organizations that are coming in and saying, we just want the right to know so that we can exercise this level of precaution just the way families in developed countries around the world have already done. And mm-hmm. I think, um, when you have a record-breaking 1 million Americans contacting the FDA in support of the labeling, you know, of these genetically engineered ingredients in our foods, I mean, that's a powerful number, and it speaks to the concern and the love that we have for our families and for our country. I agree. Well said. We've got to take a quick commercial break. But, folks, when we come back, we have much more with Robin O'Brien. So please don't go away. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. So glad that you're still with us and glad that we have Robin O'Brien, the founder of the Allergy Kids Foundation, on with us today. We're talking about a really simple yet profound concept, and that is if there's genetically engineered food in something that's offered in our grocery stores, just label it. And in fact, Robin is a spokesperson for the organization Just Label It. You can check it out at justlabelit.org. 
for those of our listeners uh, in California, you will be seeing a ballot measure coming on uh, your ballots here soon called the California Right to Know 2012 campaign. That's something that California voters have decided to put on the ballot that uh, would lead the charge in getting uh, GMOs to be labeled on our food supply. But I want to be really clear in stating one very simple concept, and that is that labeling genetically engineered foods is not a partisan issue. And I know that during a presidential election year, it seems like any issue that we take to Washington, D.C. is politicized, that it must be a, a red issue or a blue issue. But a recent poll shows that this is very much an American issue. And Robin, I'd love for you to tell us more about the Melman poll. You know, it really is interesting because, you know, there was just a study out that I just saw the headline on today that said um, 75% of Democrats feel that the government should de- dedicate more time to food regulation and only 39% of Republicans feel the same way. So, you know, that that's the kind of um, divergence we're used to seeing on any issue. You know, mm-hmm. we've become incredibly um, polarized on so many issues. And as I, as I came out this information, I thought the health, of the American public is suffering. And in order for us to be the most effective in the global marketplace and to be the strongest country that we can be, we have got to be healthy. Because diseases like diabetes and cancer, autism and allergies, they don't care if we are a Republican or if we are a Democrat. Mm -hmm. And I really thought, you know, disease doesn't know party lines and some of these issues. Thankfully, through this Malman poll, we're we're seeing they don't know party lines either. And um, I think it was absolutely fascinating that the survey found that 93% of Democrats and 89% of Republicans and 90% of Independents were in favor favor of labeling genetically engineered foods once they actually learned what they were about. Um, And those are incredibly powerful numbers. You know, we don't see those kind of numbers and that kind of consensus across the political divide on much of anything. And I think it speaks to this incredible concern we have for the health of our families and how we feel we have this right to know what we're feeding them. And the fact, you know, as the Japanese health minister said, we'll watch the American children and we'll see what happens. Well, right now in the United States, regardless of party affiliation, one in three American kids now has autism, allergies, ADHD, or asthma. And those are powerful numbers. And I think, you know, this concern we have, this love we have to protect the health of our families is universal. And I think to really say, you know, this is something that is so important to the health of our our families and to the health of our country that it's a dialogue we've got to have. And, you know, it's hard to have because we're realizing, wow, we didn't even know this happened. And, And you can feel sort of dumb about it. I mean, when I first learned about it, I thought, had I been living under a rock? How did I not know this? You know, but to realize that we just, we weren't, Oh, we we weren't informed. We didn't get labels, so we had no idea of knowing that, that these genetically engineered ingredients had been introduced into our food supply in the last 15 or 20 years. Um, but just because we were in that place, you know, over the last 15 or 20 years, it doesn't mean that has to be what we have going forward. Mm-hmm. And as we really wake up to this, you know, I think we're having this food awakening in our country right now, and I think the unspoken truth is that it's largely driven by the concern we have over the health of our families. And as we have this food awakening, there are so many resources and so many tools that are available to really help the consumer and help the citizen. And labels are are one way of doing that. You know, coalitions, like just label it, that's another way. There's all kinds of movements and growing community involvement. I mean, tomorrow night I'm hosting an event for Jamie Oliver online, you know, where we are talking to four people from around the globe. And, again, 
there is such concern over the health of our families. It doesn't matter where you are. And I think um, to really kind of engage and say, you know, we need all hands on deck just mm-hmm. because this is a system we've inherited over the last 20 or 30 or 40 years, it doesn't mean that has to be the food system that we're going to embrace going forward. Mm-hmm. And I think, to me, that's exciting. There's an incredible opportunity in that. We can really work to restore the health of our families, which will ultimately restore the health of our country. And, and the economic burden that we're seeing being placed on our economy, you know, due to the rates of diseases that we're seeing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, I'm I'm betting that a lot of our listeners are getting really pumped up about this issue and are ready to take some action. What are the top three things that they could do today or this week to advance the Just Label It mission? I mean, I would absolutely go to justlabelit.org. Um, I'm an advisor on that campaign. I have volunteered so much time to that organization because I believe in the the fact that they are not accusational at all. They are so embracing of all different types. Um, they are working with members of the government on both sides of the aisle. It's incredibly powerful and it's incredibly strong, um, and it's over a million Americans already. So I would invite listeners to go to justlabelit.org and sign the letter that we have um, to the FDA to join the mailing list so that you can know what's going on. Um, and then, I, you know, one thing I've really got to emphasize is you cannot underestimate your own unique ability to affect change. If you take the time to share the information or share a video with a friend or a family member, or maybe you want to write a letter to your local newspaper, or maybe you want to reach out to your local congressman, you will be amazed at how much power you actually have. Um, and I think sometimes that can be intimidating, but on the other hand, like that's going to be the way that we're going to affect this change. And so um, I think there are a lot of ways um, that we can get involved, you know, at the local level. Um, there is another letter um, at We the People, and you can ask President Obama to take a stand on labeling. Um, but I think, you know, more importantly than anything is to absolutely believe in your ability to, to affect change, to find a friend who cares about this issue like you do so that together you can start to make changes in your own community. Um, you know, you can, start, you can start online with Facebook or Twitter. You can start a blog. They're really easy to start at WordPress.com. You can write a letter to the editor if that's what you want to do. Um, become part of a community. And, um, and together, you know, galvanizing that energy, this passion we have, this love we have for our families and for our country, we can create the change. Well, I just got word that our engineer has has signed the the petition. So you've inspired at least one already, and I know that there will be many, many more. I signed it this week as well, and I'm excited about it. And I think, you know, what you are talking about resonates with absolutely everyone, the health of our families. I know that, you know, I'm around a lot of moms every day, and there's something really special about, women who are advocating for their children or dads who are advocating for their children um, and the passion and the fervor that they bring to issues when they feel like um, it, it could adversely impact their families. It reminds me of you know the PTA, Parent Teacher Association, over a hundred years ago. That was known as the National Congress of Mothers. And these were women who couldn't even vote. They didn't have the right to vote. And yet they would march on D.C. and they would have... Uh, incredible influence over legislators that they couldn't vote for, that they couldn't buy with lobbying money, and yet they were enacting laws and helping to, to push through legislation like child labor laws, inocul- uh, inoculization laws to have kids 
vaccinated before they entered school and um, they were so influential even before they could vote. And now you think, my goodness, if they could do that then, what could we do now with all of the uh, influence and all the social media at our fingertips? This is an important issue and I call on every parent and grandparent um, who has the deep love that they have for their children to get on justlabelit.org and join the movement so that we can know and we can be aware of the choices that we're making when we feed our families um, every day. And I, I thank you so much, Robin, for being on Go Green Radio. I thank you for your work that you're doing. And uh, I hope that we are successful in getting the FDA to just label it. Are there any parting thoughts you'd like to leave with our listeners? Just to really encourage them to become part of the solution and join us at justlabelit.org. Thank you so much. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening to Go Green Radio. We'll be here same time, same place next week. Uh, so do something great to go green in your life this week and have a safe and enjoyable weekend with your family. Did you get some terrific ideas from today's show? Please join us for more next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. It's Go Green Radio with Jill Buck here on Voice America. Go Green Radio is proudly sponsored by Covanta Energy, a leader in providing renewable energy solutions for a cleaner world. Visit www.covantaenergy.com for more information. We'll see you here next week.